Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and this was a really special conversation with an old friend, uh, Guy Leach. Guy Leach is an icon of Australian sport. Uh, In the 80s, he was the man that changed the way that we viewed ourselves as Australians, that Surf Ironman came onto our TVs and there was Guy Leach, a 19, 20-year-old bronze Aussie winning the Coolangatta Gold, a a four-and-a-half-hour vicious event. Uh, Leachy in this episode goes into details about that event in the 80s and how Surf Ironman really led to some degree triathlon being live on television in Australia in the 90s as well. And for a lot of us is the way that we actually started our sport. Um, You know, live television racing triathlon in Australia was on the backside of the Surf Ironman guys that got their uh, Surf Ironman racing on TV. But so much fun in this this conversation. Uh, Leachy doesn't hold back. He's a lot of fun to listen to. He's been such a big advocate for Australia uh, in terms of fitness and health. And now with his new business called Heart 180, where they're trying to get a a defib within 180 seconds or three minutes from anyone anywhere in Australia uh, and potentially start building that out globally at some point. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Um, And if you do, I'd love you to share it. I'd also love any reviews that you could give me on, on Apple, um, but also come and give me feedback. I'd love your advice and feedback. You can come to my Instagram DM. I'm also opening up what I'm calling Fireside Friday, where I'll open up a window to have conversations. I've already done quite a few of those. If you're interested in having a chat, a 30-minute chat with me, um, it's open to anybody. Uh, and I'll put you on my calendar on one of these Fridays. So happy to do that. Um, I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. I really did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. Right. Today, I'm joined by a true Australian legend, a powerhouse in the world of Surf Ironman, a pioneer in health and fitness. He's the king of long-distance Surf Ironman races from the Uncle Toby's Super Series to winning the prestigious Coolangatta Gold three times. He won the World Surf Ironman Championships and the World Ocean Paddling Championships, and he was dubbed Australia's fittest athlete by the Australian Institute of Sport. His journey spans from Surf Ironman, a short period in triathlons, to becoming a celebrated health advocate and a familiar face on Australian television, and now being the inspirational force behind Heart 180. So, without further ado, welcome to The Greg Bennett Show, Guy Leach. How are you, mate? Well done. Good intro. Love it. Love it. That's a way to start a summer morning, isn't it, in Australia? You've been booting out of your house. You've covered nearly 60 minutes, 60 years of my life in, in a minute. Well done. <laughs> Mate, you were just saying before we jumped on, you've been kicked out of your house and you're recording this in, in your car. It's it's mega heat in Australia. Uh, what's going on? <laughs> well, it's school holidays and uh, my youngest is starting year 12 this year and yeah. they're on the diet hour program at the moment, so they go to bed late and and uh, get up late, and I'm I'm not that person, so I, I I get up a bit later than I used to when I was younger. But um, but certainly they'll be asleep for another hour or two, so we're in the oh, car mate. doing the right yeah. thing. We were just saying it's been a long time since we last caught up. You're saying 30 years ago when we actually raced each other in in '94. I yeah. can't yeah. be that. It can't be that long. Please I, tell I, me seriously. I, I I was just trying to think when we last 
caught up. And I, I honestly, I can't think that we've actually come face to face since since that triathlon series that year. Yeah. Well, mate, it was not just that triathlon series. We did some training in Manly. Um, we did. You and Craig Reddington, and uh, I used to love doing the surf work with you guys. And yeah. um, you know, in the world of triathlon, I was kind of the guy that was quite handy in the surf. Yeah. But amongst you guys, man. <laughs> It was, it, was, it was a skill set that we took for granted that uh, mm-hmm. wasn't until you you played around with other swimmers who went to the Olympics or triathletes and you're like, okay, we're, we're actually pretty good at this. <laughs> we're, pretty, we're pretty all right. So where, you, where are you actually at the moment? Are you in Manly? Or yeah, no, I, I live at um, – so my house looks out over Collaroy Beach all the way looking up to the central coast. Um, oh, beautiful. Oh, yeah, it's a good spot. I've been here for about three years now and um, – Mate, I get woken up in the morning looking out over the Pacific Ocean um, wow. and it's a good spot and I've got the golf course. I look out over the golf course down the street, which uh, which I do like as well. So I've got the local golf club and I paddle out of the, the, the beach just down 300 metres down the street as well. Um, so it's a good little spot for me. I like it, yeah. I, I heard uh, from my good mate, Mark Fuel, who's uh, we catch up quite often, but he caught up with you. He, he flew back to Australia for a week and said, yeah, I just saw Leach. He's still fit, still training hard. You're still getting yeah. out there, mate. Yeah, no, Fuel, he's um, been around a long time too. So, yeah, no, I, 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 funny, I, so I turned 60, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I turned oh 60. Month, <laughs> year, so I'm, I'm a February 29 baby yeah. that gets a birthday every four years. Um so I'm, I'm actually 15 years on the leap year scale this year, but I'm 60 and I've sort of, it's funny, you know, like um, back when we were racing, I never thought about how fit I was. I never thought yeah. about being yeah. healthy. All I just thought about was destroying the opposition and, and being as fast as I could be and, 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 and trying to work out how I could get faster to, to keep winning. And um, But when you get older, it um, you know, the, the game for me now is to, to be 90, to be able to lift my body weight, to be able to still yeah. play golf, go paddling and, and be mentally sharp. So so I sort of play in that space now. So the, the race is that for me. Yeah, the goal the goalpost shift. Do you, do you ever go through it? It's like Laura and I often, you know, talk about we don't even – we look back and we go, who are those people that yeah. were – as fit as we once were, and it's not to say I'm unfit now. I, like you said, I, I work on my strength and there's a longevity component to what we're doing. And, uh, you know, I want to be able to lift my kids. I want to be able to, you know, do certain activities. But sometimes, like you said, you look back and we were so fit. You know, yeah. I just watched the 88 Surf Ironman race with mm-hmm. you and Trevor Hendy going head to head all the way to the finishing line. And he got that little run of the last 50 meters yeah. onto the pitch. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost like that once were warriors type mindset, right? It's like, and it's hard to remember, isn't it? It's like, wow, yeah, who was well, that person? <laughs> I went down to the Ironman race uh, at Manly a month ago and I hadn't, been, I hadn't set, stepped down to a race in a long time. It was down the street. I thought, you know, I get invited down. Yeah. But a lot of the boys that still coach that I used to race, guys like Guy Andrews and Michael yeah. and Darren Mercer and these guys that, uh, are big names in Australia and, and they were part of me growing up and, and I used to race these guys. And so I, I turned up down the beach to watch the Ironman race and, you know, the sport's not, doesn't have the profile now that it used to have. Um, um, you, you're fully well, well, you know, versed mm-hmm. to the fact that in the eighties and nineties, it was, 
it was up oh. there with cricket in Australia as being the, the biggest summer sport. And but yeah. I went down there to watch, and, and most of these guys, you don't know who they are, except there's probably a, a, a guy called Ali Day that's been very good for the last six yeah. years. And and what I know, I walked off the beach, and it was the first time in my life in my sport where I went, I didn't really, wasn't that interested in just how fast they were going or who won. I just looked at the kid who was coming 25th in the race, and he was that fit and that ripped, and he, he, mm. he kept going flat out for, for 45 minutes to an hour, in and out through the surf, and just didn't miss a beat. And the only difference between him and Ali Day was that he was probably a couple of seconds slower going out to the boys and coming back in. And uh, I walked off the beach going, mate, my sport that I used to do, mate, they are that fit. And I never, when I used to race, I never, ever walked off the beach going, oh, geez, I came second today. That's a bummer, but how fit am I? Ever. No. All, I, all <laughs> I was doing was walking up the beach going, why didn't I win? How yeah. do I make sure next time that I do win? And that was it, you know? And, yeah, and so it. it was just a different realisation that I looked at our sport going, mate, there's no sport in Australia, athletes that are fitter than these guys, even the kid coming 25th. Yeah. No, mate, and, and look, for everybody listening, I have quite a big international audience, everywhere, you know, from Brazil and North America and Europe and I want to – I'll start with a little context and you can add some more. But just to add a little context to what we're talking about with Surf Ironman racing in Australia is, you know, a couple of weeks ago I had Trevor Hendy on the show and um, and now having Guy Leach. These guys were the pin-up boys for Australians. And it, it was it was seriously this, this iconic era in Australian sport where – Every guy wanted to be like these guys and every girl kind of wanted to be with, with these guys. And it was – They were good times. <laughs> they were good times for you guys. And, and look, we uh, – I think, you know, when I look at the way triathlon flourished in the 90s in Australia in particular – was largely because of the traction that Surf Ironman made and the Ironman athletes that you guys were. You created this almost this uh, in 89 when you started the Uncle Toby Super Series, you created this this want for people to watch these kind of sports. And then triathlon, when we started with the Tui's Blue Series in 94, it was almost like without you guys previously being there, I don't think – we would have had the success we did as a triathlon. And then if you look at the triathletes that came out of that 90s era, yep. it was Chris McCormack and Craig Alexander and myself and Craig Walton, and we came out and we, and we took on the world. And yep. it's kind of like there's a brotherhood there between triathletes and Surf Ironman, but yep. Surf Ironman as a whole, I mean, you, I'll never forget you hanging out with Madonna and <laughs> you guys were the celebrities, you know. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it's funny. So to, it, 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 all, it all began in 84. So in 1984, they came up with a movie called The Calling Out of Gold. And they, mm-hmm. the movie was about these. And there'd be, there'd be some people listening that would either have heard of The Calling Out of Gold or maybe even have seen the movie in the 80s. And mm. the, the crux of the actual storyline was that there were two brothers that had a domineering dad that favoured the older kid. Um, they both wanted to be the Ironman champion and Grant Kenny played himself in the movie mm-hmm. because at that time in um, the early 80s, he was, you know, probably the most famous athlete in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. it, just, it was crackers. And I'll give you an example of um, wh- how I came, you know, sort of to realise that um, after I tell the calling out a gold story. So this was a movie. It was a script. It was – it was not 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 a um, true story, but 
um, they needed a race at the at the time. The Ironman race at a surf carnival was just uh, out around the boys, or as you call the buoys, swimming back in, little run on the beach, out paddle your board out around other buoys, back in and run, and then your your ocean kayak around another set of boys. And the race, if the surf wasn't big, took fifteen minutes. If the surf was big and it was a bit more of an effort, it probably took twenty five minutes to complete. They came up with a race in the movie, a pretend race for the movie, but they needed the footage to cut into the last part of the movie. So they came up with this race on the Gold Coast where in, in 1984 I, I was in Manly Surf Club and I saw a poster on the wall saying that you're going to run, swim and paddle from Surface Paradise all the way down to Coolangatta and back, which was 46 kilometres in January mm-hmm. heat. And mm-hmm. so that was a race that was – you know, like four and a half hours to win compared to a 15-minute race that you normally did at a carnival. And Mm. I went up to Queensland as a 19-year-old, never been to Queensland before, had only joined the Sir Club two years earlier because I saw Grant Kenny on television in a serial ad, in a Kellogg's (laughs) Newsgrant ad, and I literally just went, I'm not going to train for the Olympics in swimming now, I'm going to do Ironman. And so I went over two years later, I'm up on the Gold Coast, and somehow – I run swim and paddle from service to cool and gather and back and get there in front of another 100 athletes from all over the world a minute and a half in front of them and, and took four hours 30 to complete. Mate, there were 200,000 people on the beach that day. There was close to 20 helicopters in the air filming it um, and I won the race. I became famous overnight, um, picked up $20,000 worth of gold, and um, and the Ironman sport became professional that day. And that was the start in 84. And uh, Kellogg's Nutrigrain signed me up. They put me on the cereal pack. Um, three years earlier, I'm in the pool swimming training for the Olympics. And then three years later, I'm a household name because of one race. And um, I remember traveling around the following year with Grant Kenny. And this just goes back to you you talking about our sport. And I literally had an appearance with Grant um, at a shopping centre and they had to have 10 security guards there to keep the crowd back and then him and I left and went to a McDonald's to go and have something to eat and everyone found out we were in there and they had to shut the McDonald's store down and lock us in because there was like 5,000 people out trying to get in. Wow. That was a lot. That was a lot. I mean, you were 19 almost 20, going on 20 when you won that. When you talk about life changing, you, you're 19 going on 20. It was That's just, Yeah. It was, look, yeah. You, know, you know what happened, right? So I, I can't think of – so your, your career, right, you start in triathlon, you mm. get some results, you start getting a name. As you get yeah. older, you get better results and your, your name grows and your, your legacy grows and – your fame grows along the way, right? And then it mm. peaked when you're in Australia doing the television series that you spoke about and a lot more people know who you are. For me, I flew to the Gold Coast for this race in 1984 and no one knew me. There was <laughs> there were bookies taking bets on the race. I was 40 to 1 and I was the youngest in the field. And there were 100 athletes from all over Australia and the world that came out to do this race because in 1984, who the hell goes and races for $20,000 worth of gold? And Mm -hmm. so they came from everywhere, Olympic kayakers, swimmers, 
people that have been doing Ironman, lifeguards from the States, New Zealand, Japan, South Africa, you name it, all came out for this race. I do it. I wake up the next day hungover and I hobble down to go and have breakfast with a few of the boys and I walk past a news agent stand and I'm on the front page of the paper. I'm like, oh, my God. And then I walk, I, I, I turn the television on later that day and I'm the lead in the news nationally. So that was that was the thing, right? So it was it was there was no warm up for me. It was like I'd never really done an Ironman race before. Um, I learned on that given day when I mm. won that somehow I got to the finish line first, and and my life was going to change. But I remember walking off that beach, going in front of that bigger crowd, going the surf was flat that day. It was like two foot, no wind. Um, my skills hadn't been built yet in um, in surf Ironman because I hadn't been doing it for long enough. And I walked off the beach going, savor this, but if they have it again next year, you better improve because you're not going to win. Mm. And mm. it was really, it was like bittersweet. I was like, oh, my God, I've just, like, I'm now rich because <laughs> I've left school with nothing and I've just got 20 grand. Um, and the next day I'm famous and everyone's staring at me, which was really weird, in, overnight. But I literally went, mate, if they do this thing again, mate, I need to get better at this because I can see how I, I might not win it again. Yeah. And then you did. But but before we move on to you doing it again, you talk about your life will change. It doesn't always mean for the better or did it mean always for the better? Did you find being a 20-year-old that it really was kind of, you know, <laughs> things falling your way or did it ever feel you know, I've had other sort of big name people come on the show that talk about that moment in their life that, you know, whether they're Olympic gold medalists and that's all they become known for. Yeah. That one, that one day. Did you, did you find that it impacted your life negatively at all? All right. Look, firstly, um, um, and, and look, you'd have a lot of athletes based on your podcast that were like this. I was extremely and still am extremely competitive. I, mm. I, I want to destroy people in training and I want to destroy mm. people when I raced. And it was no, nothing personal, but no, it's just in me and it just, it still pulses now, you know, mm. and mm. I've got to control mm. it. I got to not put myself in positions now to, to have that come out. So I have to temper it. Um, so back then that was there and it just, it gave me a stage to race more. As soon as they came up with an Ironman series and, and a platform for me to go and compete, Make game on. So that was good. And the other thing is my personality is big um, mm. and, and I'm happy to be the guy, the man. Yeah. Like I was yeah, happy yeah. to take the spotlight. It was, it was weird, but, but I was like, bring it, bring it. I want to be a star and I want to be the person that they look to and I want to be the person that people go, he's, he's unbeatable sort of thing. Well, so you are, you are a big personality and the spotlight does follow you. Um, and you do always have plenty to say, you're not a bad looking fella, I guess I can say on this show, but you know, you, you back it up and you go back in 85. Now the pressure's on, it's a completely different feeling, right? I mean, it's one thing to go as an underdog, it's another to go to be the pinup boy for the sport to back it up in 85. What was, what was that experience like? So that was, that was a, a turning point for me. Um, so um, I don't know w- what it was like for you, but there, there was a point for me where I turned up as an unknown, 40 to 1, and a, and a bloke who, who saw who my handler back in 84 
um, a guy called Dempsey Joy, knew how well I was going in training, had no clue whether I'd win, but he thought, mate, there's the other, Craig Riddington and these other guys from Manly are all up there being favourites in this event, and Leachy's beating these guys in training. So mm. he told one of the boys in Queensland that had a bit of money, and that guy put $500 on me to win at 40 to 1. <laughs> this guy won $20,000 off me, and he actually, he owned a pub down at Coolangatta, and so if, for the next 20 years, I never bought a drink, and <laughs> that was uh, another story. But but the following year, I turned up, and so the problem for me in my head was this. Grant Kenny didn't do the race in 84, and mm-hmm. if you think fame, so he was like the Tom Brady of Australian sport in Australia. Nice. And he was revered. Um, he was put on a pedestal like you've never seen before. Um, mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. like when Greg Norman in Australia with golf was at his peak. Grant yeah. Kenny was like that, but with a stereo with it too for females, or, you know, like that, yeah. just that side of it. And so I'd put him on a pedestal as well, and I hadn't raced him, right? And so come 85, he was doing the race. It was on again. And the media just were, were like, who's the greatest? Is it Grant Kenny or is it Guy Leach? And, and, and it was, you know, the media was saying, you know, would, would have Guy Leach won if Grant raced and wasn't in the movie playing himself, um, you know, the, that year. So mm-hmm. I, I kept thinking in my head, my little, my little noise in my head was saying, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But, but what I did do during the year um, before, after the first race was work out where I could get stronger, work out where I could improve and, and I, and I knew I'd done the race and knew what it was like. And I was really, really good at endurance um, mm. and good in the heat. I didn't drink. I literally didn't have to drink for four and a half hours um, and could race the whole way without any fluid. Um, and so, but, but none of that back then was doing me any favours. So I literally didn't sleep the night before the race, turned up to the, the race on the day. It was the front page again leading into it with Grant, with, with everyone just going, who's going to win? And it was doing my head in. Um, so I raced the next year. Um, I won again, um, and I won by further. I think I won by four or five minutes the following year. But um, mm. but it wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy it. I literally mm. felt like I was scared. I felt um, timid. I felt like I didn't have my strength. And I sort of literally went away from that race not feeling like it was a good experience. And I don't know if you've had races where you you were just no. relieved to win, not excited Absolutely. that you won. Yeah, Absolutely. It's like ticking a box, right? It's like relief. It's done. Yeah. I had I a, it, was more, it was more of that than that was of the high from winning. Mm. And, I, and I fucking hated it. I fucking hated yeah. it. And yeah. I sort of went away and went, mate, you need to work this out. You need to work this out. And what are you going to do because – you can't go the next 10 years of your career doing this if, if you're going to be a mess the night before, not sleep, turn up to the beach and not be the person that you should be. And it, it took me a while, but I sort of I worked out that no one really cares and no one's going to lose sleep if I win or don't win. Well um, done. It's well just done. me, you know, it's just me. And I sort of I played, that, I played that card whenever I went into a major event going, you know what, all of this is in my head. Yeah, yep. I've got fans and people, and it's a big thing in Australia. But mate, no one's going to lose sleep over if I if I win or lose. And and that was that was the, the the balancing act that I played. That I needed to make myself nervous enough to have the adrenaline 
to not feel the pain as much and get myself mm-hmm. ready, but then not too much that I tipped over the edge. And we all know athletes in our sport that couldn't handle that and never raced to their potential. So, so that was a real moment for me. Yeah. I really, um, I'm nodding my head here. I remember when Laura and I first got together in 2000 and, um, and, you know, a bit, uh, you know, I'm feeling everything that you're talking about, right. Especially pressure and, um, you know, it's like you, your expectations and this huge ape that you have on your back and you're just carrying it around because of everything you've done in the past. And, and, uh, I remember Laura saying to me, Greg, no one cares about you. No, no one cares. cares. And, 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 and you can take it as like, what? No, no one cares. And it's like, well, no, people care when they're talking directly with you. It's like you and I having this conversation right now, but the moment we hang up, you're out of there. You've got other stuff you carry. You've got to get done. And you, my life goes on, brother. I mean, I have, thought about, I have thought about you every now and then over the last 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I've, I've not lost sleep over the fact that I haven't slept <laughs> and vice versa. No, mate, I've, I've been watching you golf swing for many years on, hey. on wherever you've been posting. But, it, you know, it is funny. And did you have anybody like in that, in that support structure around you, especially being so young, did you have somebody sort of – teaching you that or telling you that kind of thing on the sidelines or was it all, was it all coming inward coming I, from I, you? I got, I was, I listen. I was listening. I was saying to you before I was listening to the Dave Scott interview because Dave was, was my hero growing up in the early eighties before Ironman was the thing. And I was swimming and I, I literally wanted to do the Hawaiian Ironman because of Dave Scott. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and we can have a chat you know, a bit later about, you know, I yeah. j- jumped into triathlon for a season and raced you as well. But, um, but I, I, I got lucky in that there were a few times in the swimming pool when, when we were training um, to, you know, in, in, the, in the pool when I, from the age of 12 to 17, where, you know, I, I saw a sports psych going into, a, a, you know, a, a, a big event. Um, and that helped, and that helped around just the mind. And, uh, yeah, it was probably basic in, in what I, I was given, but... Mm-hmm. I worked it out myself off a few of those encounters with with people. And I just – I used to watch, you know, I, I, I remember in 84 I walked off the beach and then I, I, I would watch what Grant Kenny did and I sort of built confidence. I sort of tried to fake it till I made, made it. Mm-hmm. I sort of knew that I wasn't the guy that people thought I was at the start um, because I, I wasn't in the circle club at the age of five like Grant Kenny and Trevor Hendy and the Mercer brothers and Riddle. I joined, you know – nearly 13 years later. So I was wow. a late starter into the sport. I was probably the only Ironman that joined the Cirque Club when he was 17 mm. and, and, and had success um, because I, I, I had to just go and work it out really quick and, cat, and play catch-up. And um, so for me, I, I just faked it till I made it. And, you know, you, you, you knew me well or you watched me when I was doing Ironman before you met me. And you would probably say he looked like a confident bloke that struts around, um, you know, talks it up and seems very positive. But but as as we all know, you know, there's moments when you don't have that. But I just cool. I just I just tried to figure it out myself, and I wanted to be that person who won all the time so much that I I was just hell bent on working it out, working out what the formula was. You know, so mm, mm. Yeah. I, I love uh, earlier you talked about you know. Um, you're very competitive, you know, and I, I, I don't think there's an athlete, an elite athlete I've had on this show that to their core isn't a very competitive person. And the, the difference between sort of good and great is the, the best know how to start managing 
that competitive aspect of their lives and managing the large ego that comes with it yeah. and managing those chips on the shoulders that we all get and, yeah. and all of those kinds of things. But you, you learn you learn over time to manage it and, and it is a it's a work in process for a, for a lot of us. I even still now playing tennis with Laura. <laughs> like, I have to, you stop, know, stop I've got, oh man, I'm not a good tennis player. Like uh, well, the, the yeah. demons inside and just, oh, like, and I have to apologize to Laura and go, look, I wasn't swearing at you. I was more swearing at myself for the bad shot. But meanwhile, you're like, I really wanted to win that uh, point. Anyway, it's, other, it's a, yeah, other, other people that just, you know, have normal lives and probably don't get the highs and lows that, that an athlete that's been the best in the world get um, don't understand because they don't have it. Mm. But, but you know, the, but when you you stand around, and I, I've been fortunate to be around a lot of the best athletes from different sports in the world, and you know, I, you know, and, and like I I trained Madonna for um, uh, uh, yeah, some sessions out here in Australia when she was touring after that meeting years ago, and um, you know, like you know, someone who's the best. As you can see in their eyes, that they'll 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 run over people if they have to to go and get the result yeah. they need, you know. And it's like, you know, I, I never thought that I was anything special as far as that competitiveness went, but I sort of always knew that it could be a problem in later life. And I sort of wanted, when I retired, I realised that man, if I wanted to have a, a, a the rest of my life being fun and, and enjoyable and, and all the rest of it. I need to te- I needed to temper that, and I needed to be less selfish, and I needed to be more balanced, and and all the other things that go with it, and um, and that's an area that I still have to fight with now. For sure. Mm, no, I get it, mate. So when we reflect back and looking at your career, because I do want to look at other aspects of your life, you know, not just talk about your athletic career, but you know, when you look back at your career, um, you know, you had such a big hand in creating the Uncle Toby's uh, Super Series. And so people understand there was the national club type system. And then we suddenly had this professional live television series backed by Uncle Toby's, which had the greatest surfing man athletes in the world racing each other, you know, five to seven times in a summer. And um, you guys were, you know, monumental in creating that series. But when you reflect at your athletic career, other moments highs or massive lows that you can kind of look back and go wow that was that was amazing the the cooling out of gold in 84 was surreal it um yeah. you know yeah. to this day in ocean sports there's there's never been a bigger event ever seen in in, in this country I, I i wouldn't know the world but if you imagine a quarter of a million people coming out on a coastline mm. and 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 you couldn't drive down the highway because it was gridlocked um, all the handlers were on scooters because it was the only way to get from one beach to another to to give you your swimming goggles or your running shoes or whatever it was. You know, twenty helicopters in the air filming. Um, yeah. You know, it was it was surreal, and to win that and that create a sport, a professional sport. To this yeah. day, um, you know, if you were in, if you were there that day involved in it, racing. It was something that you were just, oh, my God. And, and like, every month of my life, whether it's a taxi driver or, or I walk into a restaurant, someone comes up to me and says, I was there that day. Yeah. yeah. And it's happened every month since 1984, you know, like every month someone says, mate, I was there at the finish line when you won that race or I was or I was one of the camera guys or I was up in the helicopter or something. So, anyway, so that, that to me is, 
the absolute highlight. You know, professional surf Ironman probably wouldn't have ever happened if it wasn't for that. And you wouldn't have been on television doing triathlon series in Australia if it wasn't for that day because Kellogg's Nutrigrain then sponsored a national series the following year, which I raced after I left school and did that. And then it culminated from 85 to 89 when there was a breakaway series, which was then called the Uncle Toby's Ironman series, that they, Uncle Toby's, wanted to take on Kellogg's in the supermarkets and use myself and Trevor Hendy and Grant Kenny as the marketing tools on the front of different cereal packs to take on Kellogg's to get more space in Coles and Woolworths. So it was mm. always a grab for more money for the cereal companies, and we were the the pawns to be used in that. And we <laughs> became extremely famous. And then off the back of the Uncle Toby's Iron Man series, the Bray brothers saw mm-hmm. what we were doing with the Iron Man series and went, maybe we can do that with Triathlon. And that's how you guys got on television because it was just a copycat of the Surf Ironman stuff. 100%. 100%. It was such a great launch pad for my career for sure. You know, 21-year-old kid. and So to to answer your question on lows, yeah, mate, there were like a lot of lows when I couldn't race because I was injured or sick and didn't get to the starting line. And to be fair for me, um, like in a perfect world as an athlete, I would rather have done three calling out of golds a year. So I was like, mm. I was like your Dave Scott. Yeah, you know, I do yeah. the short stuff. I didn't love doing the short stuff. I'm happy to do it. I could win sometimes, but mate, give me an all day event, and I'm that excited because I can just wind me up and let's watch me go. And um, yeah. you know, and that's why I love Dave Scott, and that's why I love tri- tri- um, triathlon because the Hawaiian Ironman for me was like the cooling out of goal. It was mm-hmm. a race where. Mate, you can make some mistakes in the race and you had time to, to work it out. If you were the best, you had time to work stuff out. And it was a, a test not only against your competitors, but it was an internal test. And then in surf, in, in the beaches, it was a test against the ocean and nature. And you mm-hmm. had to take it all on to win. And um, so for me, I would have rather have done three of those a year and nothing else because it just, it was my go. My go. That was my, my front yard was the, the marathon stuff. It's not too late, mate. It's not too late. <laughs> I think my lower back and my knees would tell you it's too late. I think I'm done. Well, you know, uh, well, you know, obviously, you know, Kai Hurst is giving yeah. them a good whack. He's doing some half Ironmans and uh, I believe Kane Eckstein, he had to go at Kona Ironman. He did, um, he did, yeah. 10 years ago and he's won the Cool and Gatter Gold, what, three or four times himself, yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, no, he's been, um, uh, he's been exceptional. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's quite a crossover and that's the thing for people to understand Australian culture is, um, you know, a lot of us grow up on the ocean and we're either in the surf or in the pools or sailing or whatever, very much a water orientated type, you know, sports that we do and, mm. you know, and, and that's why we're all gravitating towards it, you know, for me now being triathlon, which still requires, you know, the swimming and, and then I had to learn how to bike, but it's uh, it's really cool and, and I, you know, you talking about 84, you know, that early 80s, there's something about it in Australian history. Um, obviously, winning the America's Cup sailing was a massive one. And yeah. it was such a launch pad for the way Australians felt about themselves, what sport meant to Australia. I think we just started one day uh, um, cricket, you know. Yeah. Uh, one day cricket just came around in the early 80s there. It was a real uh, positive time for Australian sports. I think the Australian Institute of Sports started soon after. Um, 
it, it was a big moment in, in my point in saying all of that. It was, it was pretty special. So, you know, moving forward, um, that transitioning to retirement, um, you know, it's one of my topics I talk on this show a fair bit. Um, yeah. Some of us took longer than others in yeah. the transition. I'm, I'm just curious as to how you felt transitioning, I guess you'd call it, to almost civilian life and trying to find yourself in a world where you're not a professional athlete. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I'd look back now, probably at the time, I probably thought I'd done it reasonably well. I'd look back mm-hmm. as a wiser, you know, nearly 60-year-old and say that it was was a real moment of change for me in my life and um, and it was hard. I, I, I jumped into commentary straight away, so I didn't leave the sport. So that was probably a, a positive. Um, uh, in saying that, that I would, it took a long time. I'd sit there and commentate um, for television certain races where I, I, I would still say I would have won that race in my mm. head, you know. So I hadn't given up being the athlete yet. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I had a lot of opportunity when I finished. I, I'm, I'm certainly a serial entrepreneur. Like I, during the Ironman days, I built with um, a couple of other guys seven surf shops around the east coast of Australia and then sold that to Billabong um, at some stage, had phone stores, um, built a sunglass company from scratch and sold it to um, venture capitalists. So I've, I've, I've always been interested in business and, and money because money and making money um, is like a race. I get to compete um, and that's mm-hmm. a competitive side. So, so that was always there on the side. But the issue for me, and, and I'm sure this is common ground, and I've got this theory as well that the, the more famous you are at a younger age, um, and, and the more adulation and the more hero worship that you get in a certain sport means that the transition more than likely is harder for that person. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so imagine a Tiger Woods or, a, you, know, um, you know, like a Michael Phelps or someone that's been a, a childhood prodigy that just has always been good and, and they retire still, you know, like unbelievably famous, then, you know, the, the fall from grace can be a lot worse and a lot harder. Um, for me, I, you know, I wasn't a child prodigy star, but I became a household name over one day, which I had to adjust to really quickly. But I, I liked it. I liked the attention, so that was a good thing. Not all of it was great, but but that starts waning as you retire. And and it was, you know, it, it happened gradually because I was still doing stuff, but I didn't I didn't like the fact that, that that was the case probably, thinking back. And then the other thing is that, you know, the pats on the back and all that stuff that you were getting every second week when you were racing on television, mm. that mm. goes away. And then the freebies and the, the money dries up on the sponsorship to a degree, um, although I did have a good crack at keeping that going for the next 25 years. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, no, like, yeah, so to answer your question in short, yeah, it was hard. Um, did I have a nervous breakdown or something like that? No. Um, but I, I didn't like the fact that it was really clear to see where the finish line was every month to go to a race and mm. that yellow brick road of knowing, um, what I need to do in training. And the other thing is, it's very clear when you're an athlete to, when someone asks you a question, it's really easy to say yes or no. There's no mm. wavering. Like if I say to you, hey, Greg, can you meet me tonight at eight o'clock at the pub? 
or go and get a meal. No, nah, Leachie, I've got to be up at four tomorrow morning because I've got a long ride. Can't do mm-hmm. it. I can meet you Saturday night for an, a meal because I've got Sunday off. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy and it's really black and white, you know, with what you're doing. And yeah. that becomes grey when you retire because you don't have that structure there. And I, I was still addicted to the adrenaline, um, the natural adrenaline from exercising because I was still training twice a day for for the next five years after I retired. Because mm. I couldn't, Mate, let it go. I couldn't let it go, and the feeling of just and being fit and like so. My DNA is to this day, I'm fit, I'm strong, and that's who I am, right? And and so I couldn't let that go either. So it was, yeah, it was difficult. Yeah, yeah, mate. I look a lot of what you're saying resonates with me. I, I for me, there were, were two things that stand out on my side, which were. Very much the, the, I did get to retire on my own terms and I was 44 and I felt like I'd, re- I'd really, uh, you squeezed I, it out, squeezed all the, all the juice. I out squeezed it all out, mate. I really did. And, and I, uh, I got, I, I really felt like I was, um, you know, I got a lot, um, from the sport. But I, the, the thing that I lost was that, that, that tremendous sense of purpose and living life with such intent towards a, a purposeful yeah. goal, right? Like that, like you were saying, that yes, no, that absolute um, everything you did. But I think I often hear people say things like, oh, you know, they're, they're wrapped up in who they are in that, you know, and they're, they're, they're not moving they're on from what they're doing. The identity is still the, the, yeah, the identity thing, but I think there's – I think there's more to it than that because I actually believe this is at a deeper level and I've said it on this show before, but I think it's a hormonal response as much as anything. You see, I believe your body, especially when you were still 19 and your life changed, that you were getting your oxytocin, your serotonin, your endorphins, your dopamine, this cocktail of feel-good hormones. Yeah that your body became very used to and it was a part of your DNA. That, that's, and so when people say, oh, then retire and just get going again, it's like, well, hang on. Well, now how do I find the oxytocin, serotonin, dopamines, and endorphin, yeah. right? Like there's an emptiness there. So that it takes a while to fill that. You can't, you've, you can't you've, just go, oh, turn the page. Given, you've given this thought and you've obviously spoken to enough people that you've got it, you've got it nailed in, in what you're saying. There's no doubt that when you get, so the highs I had in my sporting career, I've never had since. The lows I've had during my life in my sporting times, I've never had since. So mm-hmm. life becomes more in that middle section between the two highs and lows, doesn't it? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, you got it. And you've got to try to find – so you're more balanced and you've got a more cruisy life, but that roller coaster ride that you get during sport when you're at the highest level – Mate, that goes away. It goes away. Yeah. And, yeah. and you search for it and it's like, you know, like I've, I've had a couple of really, really good business deals, you know, and go come come good and made a lot of money and I've never felt any great feeling from that compared to winning a call and get a goal for an Uncle yeah. Tony Man race or the World Ocean Paddling Championships. Yeah, so I'm, I'm with you. No, mate, it's like uh, somebody once asked when my first daughter was born, the day she was born, right? Like, yeah. Greg, is that the greatest feeling you've ever had? And I was, well, um, I love my daughter and, and the feelings have grown to the it's point. It's hard to admit it to someone, mate. It's hard to admit it. <laughs> it was exactly the same for me. I'm like, this is awesome. But if you put on a scale of one to ten, winning a world title, 
well, that's <laughs> 10, and my daughter comes in at eight. <laughs> I know. And it's not to say your love doesn't grow over time, but in that specific one moment of holding yeah. a brand-new infant, yeah. and it's pretty cool, and you're now a dad, and it feels tremendous joy, and there's also a tremendous sense of responsibility and, oh, oh shit, you it's know, what am I doing here? But it's a different higher. It's just a different higher. It's just different, high. it's different, just different but it's not as more. So there's, there's, there's people could listen to this and go, freaking hell, listen to these two idiots. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's more, it's more to do with like the power of the feeling. Like it's, it, yes, there's yes. love in the, the, in the other one, in the, having your child, there's love and that mm. feeling of just high, but the, just a, a pure sense of a high from sacrificing six months of your life, yes. training yes. every day, doing everything like you've given everything to that one result and you got across the line, mate, that's yeah. like it's it's just more of about a powerful feeling, I reckon. So I, I think you've nailed that. I remember having a one my last really massive race win, I think I was just shy of 40, and I remember – it was a big prize money day and it was a good, it was a good day and had a good after race party. But then I went home mm-hmm. and I was completely numb. I was completely neutral to the point that I wasn't at high. I wasn't low. I was just, I'd found this. It was like the body was done. Like it was, like, it was an amazing feeling. That's good. Three or four days just going, wow, I'm just. <laughs> that's, that's your sign. That was it. You're you're tapped out. You're done. You've done your. Yeah, your well, I still I still went for another five years. <laughs> yeah, well, that was probably a moment where you could have got out there, huh? You know. Like, yeah, so. yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely, mate. But let's fast forward a little bit. Yeah. You know, um, you had some. You've had some success in business. You've learned a lot. Um, you you kept. I was always impressed. You always kept your profile alive. You know, yeah. you never disappeared from the sport. You know, it's, it's had its comebacks, it's come and yeah. gone, you know, it's like, it's, and you've always been a face that's been around the sport, but you've also been a pretty huge advocate for health and fitness in Australia. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, we don't need to go into too many details on that, but for people oh. listening that, you know, internationally, Leachy's always had his face on something that's saying, hey, get out there, get moving, yeah. focus on your health. Yeah. And the reason I'm only skimming over all of that is, is not to, to cheapen it, but more to fast forward to the cause you're working on right now. Um, because this is really exceptional and it's a, it's a company called heart 180 and people can go check it out. Heart 180.com. Yeah. Um, I want you to talk to me about why you started this company and, and why it means so much to you. So, so ironically, the link to triathlon, the Hawaiian Ironman, um, goes back to a bloke that um, made me start um, Heart 180. So, so uh, yeah, I, I retired. I was clear on that I wanted to stay in health and fitness. I wanted to mm-hmm. become an advocate for that, and I, I used a the, the only real the only um, reality TV show I ever did was Survivor. I did Survivor. Yes, I Dover Survivor, Celebrity yeah. Survivor. <laughs> and I, I knocked back the singing, the dancing, the cooking, you know, <laughs> the diving, the, you know, I knocked them all back because I'm like, I don't love it and I'm not going to win. And so I'm yeah. not doing it. And so Survivor came up, the whole family was fans. I'm like, I'm going to have a crack at this, like the calling out of gold. I'm in. And I did the month, I starved and did all the stuff and, and I ended up winning Survivor. And off the back of that, I knew that it was 20, 20 hours on 21 hour slots on, you know, 20 weeks on television, prime time. And I thought, you know what, I'll really leverage this whole health and fitness stuff off the back of that. So I use that as a 
stepping stone. Mm-hmm. And as you said, I've always kept my name up. So I've always been good at the promotion marketing side of um, the game and branding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I leveraged a lot of deals and I had deals where I had my own clothing range in department stores across Australia. It was a, it was a big business that was turning over between 2 and $4 million a month with product on, with my name on it, fitness equipment, um, wow. you know, stuff in Woolworths, you know, and it, like food, drink, you know, you didn't name you it. Bikes? Didn't you have bikes at one point with I your had, name on them? I, I did the deal with the bikes leading into doing triathlon with you. So I, I prided right. myself on the fact that I already had a range before I even did an triathlon. <laughs> so, but, uh, but, yeah, so, yeah, so I did all that and, mate, it was going unreal. Like it was just killing it. I've never made more money. I was, I was loving it. I love the health and fitness. And one of the things I used to do, I, I trained celebs and all the rest of it, but I did a, a, a paddling class doing fitness down on the harbour at Manly where the ferries come in from mm-hmm. uh, the city. One more, I, I did it for nearly 20 years, and, and we have a lot of people turning up going paddling and doing cross-training on the harbour where you went into beaches and did push-ups and sit-ups and little races and all the rest. And on a given morning eight years ago, um, a guy called Charles Stewart had a heart attack at the end of the session and he stopped breathing. And Charles Stewart was um, a reporter, journalist on uh, Wildwater Sports back in the 80s in mm-hmm. Australia, which was the number one sports show in the country. He was the one that went to Hawaii to Kona and covered the Hawaiian Ironman. He covered Dave Scott uh-huh. Winnie and Mark Allen and and the like. And so um, – I used to – I learned about your sport and the Hawaiian Ironman through Wildwater Sports, watching it, be it three or four months later after the race had finished, with a guy <laughs> called Carl Stewart that was the journal that went over there and, and put the baggies yeah. together. So fast forward, and when I did triathlon, I met him because he was covering that in Australia, and we became, like, best mates. And he would go yeah. riding with me when I, I did the training to go and race you and all the rest of it. And so we became really tight. And – um, and on this morning, he stopped breathing, and I started resuscitating him. And I did that for I think eight or ten minutes before the ambulance turned up. And the short of it was, he didn't make it. And you know, when you start talking about worst moments of your life, well, that's one of them. Where mm-hmm. I'm looking down at a mate, and he's dead, and I'm trying to bring him back. And there's twenty or thirty other people there, all giving support. And all I could do was the best I could do. And so after I learnt that. Um, had I had a defibrillator in one of the cars close by where he dropped and I, he got a shock from that defib that he was about a 70% chance of surviving. But because I was just doing resuscitation, he was less than 10% chance of surviving. And so that was the beginning. And I'm like, this is bullshit. Like, and so I, 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 would, <clears throat> I, I found this out from the cardiologist at the hospital um, after it and so the media picked up on it because there was a journo who died and, and I'm the one trying to save him. So the, the, the media went crazy in Australia about it. Um, and I made the decision based on learning that um, sudden cardiac arrest, which is an electrical issue with the heart, it's the biggest killer in Australia. It kills 100 Aussies every day. And if there was a defib close by, then 70 of those 100 today would be around tomorrow and so on and wow. so on. So I went, you know what? I'm going to go and do the interviews and I'm going to use Chucky's, uh, you know, death as a way of educating other people for them to not die. And so because I, I went and did the research and said to my mates, what's the biggest killer in the country? And they're like, oh, it's just cancer. It's suicide. No one knew, right? And I'm like, did you know it's actually 
sudden cardiac arrest. And they're like, oh, we don't even know what that is. And I mm. said, well, did you know that if a defibrillator was close by that no one knew? No one knew. There were no defibs around. So, yeah, yeah. No one's been educated. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm on this, I'm on this, this train. I'm going to do it. And um, so fast forward, <clears throat> I became the biggest or the biggest couple of companies in Australia getting defibs out there. But I was the, the, the mouthpiece for the country to learn about it in the last eight years. And so fast forward now and Heart 180 um, saves a life every two weeks that I find out about with one defibs we sent out last week. As an example, we lost a lady at Shelley Beach next to Manly. Yeah. My defib yeah. was used on her. She drowned, Korean lady. Um, but on the same day, one of my other units in a gym in Adelaide in South Australia saved a guy who was on the treadmill and he, he stopped breathing. So, you know, every week I get stories and most of the time we save people um, through the defibs that we use, but it's all because of Chucky and that day and not having one. So, you know, I sort of go, well, you know, the Ironman sport was good to me and all the sports stuff I've done was great. But probably my legacy and the reason, you know, I'm on this earth is to to do this because it's making the most difference. No, yeah. oh, you're a good man, and that's. Uh, I'm sorry for your loss with Chucky, but I, I certainly love what you what you're doing with Heart 180. How many defibs have you been able to get out there since you started eight oh, years ago? Oh, it's thousands. Like t- this morning, I just looked at an order. Someone wants 21 defibs to put around the around all their offices in the country. So we we, we sent thousands out. Um, I, I took it on board as being, you know, that competitive side in me came out, and I'm like, what's my goal? What's my big mm. lofty goal? And my big lofty goal is that there needs to be a defib within 180 seconds, which is why I called the business ah, yes. 180, because 180 yeah. seconds is the perfect time to get the, the pads on the patient to, to give them a 70, 70% chance of surviving. Um, oh. And I need to have one next to anyone that drops today, tomorrow, or the next day. And so I'll be saving 70 people every day in Australia. So, so that's, that's the goal. And um, Mate, we just we get up every day, and that's the passion, and that's the interest. And I mean, I, I have other interests too. Don't get me wrong, and but that's that's the one that makes the most difference. Sure, mate, I, I'm I'm super impressed. Um, if people want to support you, are, are you you know, you're a charity. How how do you make this work? Is it a is it a yeah, foundation it's, or it's, you, it's, you, it's, yeah. we, what we do is we it's a business to. To, we, it's a business as far as what we do, but we, yeah. we put back in. So I built, as an example, last year my own money. I put in thousands, tens of thousands of dollars and built an app, an app called Defi Piro. So Defi Piro is an app on the Apple Store that lets you locate where your closest Defi is, register your device if you've got so others know that it's available at certain times. Awesome. It gives you awesome. free online training. So I've put money back into um, creating education creating an app to find the devices and, um, you know, that's what we do. Yeah. Are you going to limit it to Australia? You're thinking, you, I mean, New Zealand's an obvious yeah, next no, we'll, step. We just go global? That was last year and we'll just keep, you know, I, I just, I've got to get my own front yard sorted. Like Australia's, you know, I, yeah. I, I need, yeah, I, like I can affect here, but certainly we do. I've sent them all over the world. I, I donated 150 to the Aboriginal communities in the middle of Australia two years ago, but I send um, defibs uh, if, and I, at my own cost to resorts um, in third world countries where people have died, tourists have died, and there's no defib on the island as an example. So, yeah, we, um, 
yeah, we, we do some good stuff. It's um, mate, I'm super impressed, cool. Leachy. And like you said, I do believe this will be your legacy even more so than the yeah, Surf yeah. Man. Although, although it's going to be hard for someone like me who grew up in the '80s and you were such a an inspiration, you know, to ever go past that era. But I, I love what you're doing. I love the way you you're using your name and your likeliness and everything mm. to go behind something that has, you know, obviously impacted you in a, in a tremendous way. What, what's, what's next for you then? I mean, you got heart 180, yeah. um, you know, what other projects are you on at the moment oh, and you're keeping fit? You're still playing yeah. plenty of golf. Yeah, no, I've, um, I got into the golf when I retired. I wanted to get to scratch. I'm probably, I've got down to three handicap and I wanted to have hole in ones. I had all these goals in golf and I've had three hole in one. So that's been a fun journey. It's 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 bloody difficult if you ever play golf. Um and being <laughs> I live in Florida, mate. There's no, it's a it's a prerequisite to living in Florida. Yeah, well you know how hard it is. It uh, it's it's a grind doing doing the golf stuff. But I, look I fit it in. I, I'm really uh, you know I, I want to live to ninety and I want to live to ninety um physically, mentally happily well you know and so my my ultimate race is in 30 years time so if you're talking about what's what's the race now it's that one like so when you touched on before highs and dopamine serotonin and um and the like and and adrenaline and what we missed out on i'm big on um you know trying to trying to keep that part of my life going well so i exercise every day i do i have this protocol that I do so that when I am 90, I'll hit these goals I want to hit. So today I'm about to go, a few of the boys will turn up in 20 minutes time, the house, we go riding today. So I do five different types of exercises a week. I cut Hmm. across strength. I cut across max VO2, aerobic capacity, um, flexibility and core. So I mix Pilates, weightlifting, um, bike riding, swimming, and paddling. So I, I rotate them. I do something every day. I, I, I'm big on. I don't eat till lunchtime. So I, I gap my meals from night to day. And I'm sure, I'm sure mm-hmm. that you've you've mate, you've had a lot of talks over over the, the podcast on this stuff. I I'm into breath work, so I don't exercise. Um, so I've been into breath work now for a, a while. I I first fell on breath work in the 80s when we were doing hypoxic training in the pool. So I train athletes and people on how to breathe functionally, um, how to how to learn to nasal breathe. So like when we ride today, I'll get my heart rate up to 150 or a bit above and I'll never mouth breathe as an example. I use sauna mm. every day. My gym at home, I've got sauna. I do breath work in the sauna. I ice bath every second day. Um, uh, I, I take... I take supplements like resveratrol and, and NMN to for my cell reparation. So I'm very big on the aging process. I study through podcasts six to eight mm. hours a week of the latest science that's out mm. there. So I've sort of I've sort of just gone and become very curious, like you and I were when we were trying to be the best and trying to win and work out what that formula is. I'm, I've just I've become very very interested. I suppose based on just the landmark that you're about to turn 60, I don't feel like it. I don't think I'll look like it. Um, but, funny, you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just, what's that, mate? It's funny, isn't it? It just creeps up on you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I love what you're doing. Um, 
mm. being in the longevity space, it's where I spend a lot of my energy and time and oh, have a lot of friends, you know, a lot of, I have a good mate, uh, you know, working with Peter Atia uh, and, and yeah, that great. whole space. Yeah. Andrew Huberman, um, um, David Sinclair, like, all those boys yeah. are good. I'm seeing Huberman, he's out here next month. So I'm seeing him um, when he's out. Um, nice. So, yeah, good, I, yeah. You'd, have, you'd have a lot of listeners, I'm sure, on your podcast that would be, you know, around our age group that would, you know, love sport, into fitness and health, and um, you'd be a great resource to um, to teach them how to stay on this earth for longer and, and happily and all the rest of it. So that's good. Well, it's like trying to just get, get the most out of the days left. I, I read a book recently called uh, Die With Zero, which a, a guy by the name of uh, – Dr. Dan Plews. I don't know if you know Dan, but I've heard, he of, the has book. The, I've heard of the book. Yeah, it, um, but, but it's not by him. He told me about it. Sorry. Dan, Dan broke the age group yeah. record. He broke eight hours for the Ironman and yeah. we were talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, there's a really great book called Die With Zero. And especially as we get a little bit older here and we're trying to, you know, use the years that we have left. Um, it's a good book to kind of go, okay, I'm 60 or in my case, 52 you know, my health is at this level. It will deteriorate. No matter what we do, we are going to slowly we're gonna, deteriorate. We're going to go down there eventually. You, just, you, wanna, you, just, you want to do what you can. can. You're fighting. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's it's a fascinating area. It, it, it's, you know, we're all going to end up at this, the same destination here. Um, yeah. You know, uh, uh, one thing that motivates me more than anything is understanding my own mortality. And I don't mean to be morbid, but I, it excites no. me. Oh, the fact that I know I'm going to be like, you're exactly the same. Like I, I just don't want that. So you know, when you, when your tombstone's going to have the, the year you're born and the year that you die, and that dash in the middle is your life. You want yeah. to make it as good as it can be, but you want that dash to be as big as as long as it can be because you want to stay in the earth as long as you can. But you don't want to be on this earth at ninety if you're in bed with tubes in you no. and you can't no. move. You'd rather tap out, right? So it's like, no, no, no. what am well. I doing right now? What am I going to do today so that you know, I can be 90 and still be able to do the things I want to do. Now, obviously, you could get a bad number, um, circumstances could be whatever. A coconut, could, a coconut could land on your head tomorrow, honestly. Exactly. And, and so yeah. far, but what can we do for things that we can actually affect to go and uh, yes. make it as good as it can be? So, yeah. You crush that, mate. Hey, have you got time to just finish with the final four questions? I know yeah. you got to head off on a bike ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, this one, uh, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Oh look, you know Noosa well, right? So I wouldn't tell I wouldn't tell my eighteen self too much at all. I'm mm. like, you know, the journey's the journey. Mate, Love I, it. I was an Love idiot it. when I was twenty. When I look back, when I was thirty to twenty, I'm like, geez, I was an idiot when I was twenty. Geez, I've got it going now. And then at forty, I looked at my thirty year old self and went, geez, you're a dickhead back then. So it just goes <laughs> on and on, right? So I'm sitting here right now, and I'm fundamentally the same person I was when I was twenty. But through life experience, I'm a bit wiser and. And all the yeah. rest of it, right? But you know, oh, let's it. let's not get let's not overthink it all. But um, <laughs> you know, life's too short. But the um, I, I funny one. So you know that drive from Noosa, right, um, down to Maroochydore. So we used to go to Noosa in the eighties to train. Yeah. That was our training yeah. camp. You guys went elsewhere around the world. We went. I went to Noosa. I started it as a thing. So we got right, out in the Twanton pool, right? The Twanton 25 meter pool out the back there. Cotton tree, cotton tree. At, cotton um, tree. Yeah, oh, you go down a cotton tree. And then we go yeah. down there for the 50, right? And so yeah, yeah. I remember driving through Sunshine Beach in 1986, 87, and there was a car full of Ironmen at the time Sean Kenny, Barry Newman, 
um, John Robinson, these guys that you people probably haven't heard of, but if you're in into Ironman, you know the names. I remember driving through Sunshine Beach, which is the next beach from Noosa going south, and then you go into a suburb called Sunrise, and there, there, were, there were these blocks of land looking out over the beach with not a house built mm. in Sunrise. So you're 10 minutes drive or less, seven minutes drive from Noosa, right? And the blocks were for sale for $29,990. And, and the year, and at 21 years of age, to give you an example, I was making 300, 400 grand a year in endorsements, mm. right? So I've got plenty of money, but Dick Ed Leachy would be spending four grand on a car lease to drive around in a car that looked better than everyone else's, right? I remember saying to the boys, who the hell would buy a house out here in, in this shithole of a, of, a, of a spot, right? So those houses today are worth about $8 million each, and you could have bought the blocks of land for $29,000. So Don't. You can't do that to yourself, mate. You I can't know, do I that. I have to. I have to. I'd <laughs> be saying to my 18-year-old self, Leachy, when you're, when you're up in Noosa in a few years' time and you drive past Sunrise and you look at those blocks of land, you buy every one of them. You buy every Mate, one. I did the same thing, by the way. I did the same thing in 92. I bought my first, you know, a bit like you, you kind of as an athlete, you, you suddenly have – Actually, I think we had the same accountant in um, Scott. Um, oh, we did, Scott Somerville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott Somerville. Yeah, so yeah. every athlete on the Northern Beaches had Scott as the accountant. And uh, he's like, Greg, you've got to buy it. You've got to buy something. You know, you've got this, you got this money from racing. And I was like, oh. And I, I looked up at Noose and I was like, oh, was it, what, it was 200 grand or whatever for this? Oh, no. Sunshine know. Beach on the oh, <laughs> You're as dumb as me. Um, you're as dumb as me. Uh, <laughs> I did. I did end up buying out the back of Manly a little bit, and it was okay. Yeah. It didn't. It wasn't. It, I mean, Manly's done really well, but compared oh, to what Noosa did, oh, I've wow. shook my head so many times. To your point, I think that same thing is. Yeah, it's no, like that eight it's million. It's all a bit of fun, mate. I wouldn't tell my eighteen-year-old self anything. It's like that's no, money, mate. No, it's, you just live it's, and learn, don't you? You just you go yeah. with the flow. Yeah. <laughs> Try to not make I mean, the same mistake twice. So. Exactly. Well, yeah, invest properly this time. Yeah. Hey, uh, I like this question, and then I'll, I'll let you go because I know you've got to get going. But three people you'd want to have dinner with, mm. non-family, they can be living or dead. Righto. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna say Chucky. So Charles Stewart, yeah. I'd, mate, I'd love him obviously to be around still, and um, and mate, we we laugh so much. We just every day we'd be on the phone. When you you know you know that person that you ring when you're driving for 15 minutes and you're like bored in the car. You're like, who am I going to yeah. ring? Well, I'd ring Chucky yeah. up. And we yep, put shit yep. on each other and just have a laugh and all the rest of it. And and so he'd, he'd have to be there for sure. Um, but I'd love to dig deep into Tiger Woods' life and, and get close mm. to him because I love golf. Um, mm. he, he's, he's very he's interesting. He's a close shop. You, you can see that. He's, he's been very guarded, but I reckon I could – I could break him down um, over over a few drinks, and he'd be, he'd be he'd have some fun stories. And you know, there's a there's a my my um I lost my granddad, so I didn't I never knew him, um, so I don't think it counts with family. And he was um, he was the second in charge of World War Two for Australia, a guy called Lieutenant General Cyril Clothes. So Clothes oh. was my mum's. Um, maiden name. And so I remember the morning in Melbourne, I was four years of age, I remember hearing um, sirens and that was apparently that was the Ambo's coming because he had had a heart attack at the house and he mm. died. And But I never knew, I can't remember, but I remember the sirens. And, and so he led 
um, the Australians into a battle um, in Milne Bay in Papua New, New Guinea. And it was the first time that the Aussies repelled the Japanese in, the, in World War II, which meant that mm-hmm. that was, you know, the, the critical point where they, they weren't going to invade Australia. Um, and so, yeah. and he, and there's books written on him and he was a hero. And so I'd love to sit down with him and just pick his brain. Cause I've, you know, obviously. Oh, that's so cool, mate. My, uh, my, uh, nephew just, uh, had his first day in, uh, the Australian Defence Force Academy yesterday. Um, big, you know, we're all very excited, obviously, mm. you know, so for Americans listening, that's the same as, uh, you know, um, what's the American equivalent of, uh, the army military school. Yeah, um, yeah. Lost me for a second, but it's a big deal. And so we were really excited about it. My, yeah. my brother is, uh, has his, uh, masters and doctorate in war history. So that's, you know, we, we, we spend a lot of time. Yeah. So I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that conversation. If I could be the one waiting tables on that, I'd love well, to be a part he, of it. Um, yeah. He, he literally was there on the beach trapped wow. with, with the Aussies and he got them out overnight. Um, and with not one life taken, and they were they were no. like 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 just locked in, couldn't couldn't move. And he he came up with a um like he had a bucket of water with rope, and it would set the rifles off every you know couple of minutes during the night. And they got out and then reattacked and uh, and claimed the beach. So anyway, so yeah, no, he he he, cool. he was obviously a, a a real leader and a and a champion. So that would be that would be pretty nice to be able to go and do that. Yeah. Well, Leachy, mate, this has been an absolute blast. Just to catch up. Great. Here's some, Good stuff. Some great Aussie stories, mate. It's been too long. Let's not wait another 30 years no. if that's the truth. I'm not be around. <laughs> I hope I am anyway. I hope I am. <laughs> oh, mate, it has been too long. I thoroughly enjoyed this. You have no idea. I, I do, really I have do remember thought. racing you. It's funny because I did that little stint. We didn't you go me. Did I think I, you beat me. Did I, uh, I think, well, the indoor uh, race. I'm pretty sure you yeah, I, th- I might have clipped your butt, but it was just funny that um, that I did step into your world and, uh, you know, and it was one of those ones where I, I only did it. I mean, obviously the money was good and everything, but I had this this real clear want off the back of Dave Scott to um, to have a crack at it, and that was what made me fall in love with um, endurance racing and, uh, and triathlon, yeah. Isn't that awesome? I had no idea. Like this is a beautiful thing about this show is like I often hear things that you think you know somebody, yeah. um, you know, and I knew you were a fantastic swimmer, but I had no idea that, you know, there was such a draw to Ironman triathlon and uh, and someone like Dave Scott, I don't know, you know, I've had him on the show a couple of times oh, and he's become a good mate after living in Boulder for many years and I still have to pinch myself that, you know, Dave Scott's a mate, just like I pinched myself that you're a mate. Like it's like a, he was the king. He was the king. Seriously. Like before Mark Allen and, and everyone else superseded, he was, he was the guy that showed that you could go to Kona, you could get on that lava field and you could actually do an event that went for a whole day in, in stifling heat and actually race it. Like no one would have thought you could race it. I mean, I remember in the cooling of the golden in 84, three things happened on that day. I turned up and went, don't embarrass yourself, get to the finish line. That was my first <laughs> thought. Second thought yeah. was um, when I started running the first 11K run, but mate, let's try to beat as many people as you can. So there was never a thought of winning. I got out yeah. of the next 5K swim equal first, and I started running the next 4K and hit the lead. Um, and yeah. I said to myself then, mate, here's the opportunity. 
mate, if you're not going to win, mate, go to hospital trying to do it. So there were three moments in that race that came up, and the third one was we're actually racing it now. Well, Dave Scott was like that to me. I looked at it and went, he's actually racing this thing um, over a whole day, and I was like, that's impressive. That's so true. He changed the sport, man. He, 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 I call him the godfather of triathlon. You know, people want to argue who's the greatest well, of all he time. Is, he's, he's the go- he, he, he's he the actually godfather. brought the interest into it. He was a good-looking guy. He was yeah. a bit ungainly in the running and everything, but he was a warrior, mate. You looked at him and he just – he was a warrior, you know. And, and when Mark Allen came up and you looked at Allen and you went, athletically he looks prettier to, when he runs. He's soft when he lands. Like he looks he like he should be. He looks yep. like he should beat this other warrior, and the warrior just kept going, going, no, you're not going to beat me, mate. And just, oh, yeah, I looked yeah. at that and went, mate, you are just, you're the king. You're the king. Yeah. I love them both, honestly. Yeah. Mark and, and Dave. And I've, met them both. I've met them both as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Tremendous guys. <laughs> I think this is a good place to wind it up, buddy. I agree. Um, but it's been absolutely fantastic, mate. Um, so thanks for coming on. For everybody listening, you can find all the show notes and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. All right, stay on the line, buddy. I appreciate you. I'm Cheers. Agreeing.